they're all very, very young, all these CIA officers, you know, just in real life. Can I just say as well, Lauren, I'm loving that I can hear the New York beeping and hugging of horns coming up. <laughs> it's brilliant. We absolutely get where you are right now. <laughs> That's such like a, I'm walking here kind of like sound outside, I know. You know, the cliche is write about what you know and most people probably don't have oh yeah my mum was approached by the CIA that one time in their back pocket yeah no she actually didn't tell me about that until well after I started writing the book <laughs> we haven't had that no we haven't had a good western for ages have we no it's not I my favorite genre if I'm honest yeah We've like kind of fallen out of favor you know the landscapes are so beautiful and I think that if you can kind of nail you know make the make it feel frankly less racist it's like the american western is a is not the best uh no. i felt like there was space there um for kind of a you know something fresh and just to let you know this episode of bestsellers was recorded before the death of george floyd and the nationwide protest that his death sparked across the United States. And that's why we don't talk to Lauren about it in this episode, despite her being in New York at the time of this interview. Hello and welcome to Best Sellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And this is Phil Williams. And we've got a cracking guest today. I am thrilled that Lauren Wilkinson, who wrote American Spy, uh, is with us and joining us from where are you right now, Lauren? I'm in New York. Hi, everyone. <laughs> How is New York at the moment? Um... Well, it's it's intense, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, I've been home pretty consistently for the last two months, uh, so it's a bit surreal. You know, I see the statistics and the numbers of people sick and dying here, but, you know, I'm, I feel also pretty isolated. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Now, your book as well was one that I had so many people saying, you have to read this book, and I kept seeing it everywhere for about the past year or so. Well, I was um, one of them. Yeah, you were one of them. And then I was going to say, Phil, you were the one that actually nudged me. I'm like, yeah, we have to chat to Lauren on the podcast, uh, which finally meant that I got to read it, which was great. Thank you. It's always really nice when people read it, you know, because you, you, you sit down, right, and you're like, I don't know. I, I took seven years writing this book, and the whole time I never let myself think if other people were going to actually read it or like it or it was going to be any sort of interest in it. Because if you, if you think that when you're, <laughs> when you're writing something for so long, you can really, you know, you really kind of freeze up and... So I never allowed myself to even dream what it would be like to actually have a book in the world. And now, for me, luckily, it's been better than my, my wildest dreams. So it's nice. So one of the nicest things for me, and I'm sure, Nat, you're the same, is rather than get besieged by press releases from, from publicists, is when you just discover a book on your own and it's amazing. So that's what happened with your book for me, was I saw it recommended in Entertainment Weekly, and I thought, OK, well, I'll, I'll give that a go. Knew nothing about it other than what they'd read and destroyed it in about three or four days. And I'm a slow reader. Such a brilliant pace to this, Lauren, and such an intriguing story. Do you able to explain a bit about what it's about and why you chose to write about what you did? Yeah, sure. So my book is set during the 80s. It's a Cold War. Uh, it's The protagonist is Marie Mitchell, who is an FBI agent, and she is approached by the CIA and asked to help undermine um, the government of a real-life historical figure, Thomas Sankara, uh, his Marxist government uh, in Burkina Faso in West Africa. 
And, you know, along the way, it sort of forces her to figure out and decide what it is that she believes in. If she believes that she is doing good work by undermining him or, or if she isn't. Um, yeah. And I guess I started writing it. I actually started it. Uh, it was in graduate school. <laughs> it was a literally a homework assignment <laughs> in grad school. Uh, I was uh, assigned to write a story that was based in suburbia, but it couldn't sort of be one of the uh, cliched ideas of American suburban sensibility, like, you know, like the longing and boredom and middle class ennui, like that was off the table. So for some reason, I saw this suburban mom and I just knew looking at her in my mind's eye that she was a spy. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, I wrote that story. And uh, just as I kept going on further and further with the story, every time I asked a question about who she was and what she was about, the answer just came back spy. So then, you know, I had to do a lot of reading about spies and like try to figure it out because the idea came before the actual knowledge about the genre so that was tricky and so the cold war <laughs> setting as well because you strike me as as someone who maybe would have been quite young in the 80s did you have to yeah, do some research around that kind of tone as well as around spying do you know any spooks i do not uh my mom she so she went to you know she was a phd in a social psych phd in 1984 and she was the cia tried to recruit her and she was like this is weird <laughs> so there's actually a story in the um in the book where like the the main character loses her address book and that was a real thing that my mom told me uh that she was just was convinced she was in the early stages of the recruitment process and she had this address book and she was she, she's it disappeared and she has no idea where it went and I just felt like you know maybe she lost it maybe someone took it she has she has no idea and that sort of unsettling quality is super super interesting to me and how do they approach you then how do they approach your mom I think it was just through her school you know that she was in a PhD program and they wanted people who maybe had that background I think that it's generally if they approach you it's because you are going to a certain university and have a certain background but I do know someone who is a CIA officer who was a CIA officer and he he uh signed up online <laughs> he applied online um and yeah, just cool. <laughs> of course yeah um and as an aside something really interesting that he told me is he you know he was i'm 35 he was 30 and he had already finished with his career oh, they're all very very young all these cia officers you know just in real life you and because you kind of start you know when you're 23 and 24 and if you're doing a good job of it, by the time you're in your mid-30s, you know, you've eroded your cover, right? So you're not going to be the most effective spy. So the most effective kind of frontline CIA officers are, are really quite young. Can I just say as well, Lauren, I'm loving that I can hear the New York beeping and hugging of horns going on. It's brilliant. We actually absolutely get where you are right now. That's <laughs> such like a, I'm walking here kind of like sound outside. I know. I uh, was worried about that, but. Um, no, it's great. I love, genuinely no, we love, love it. We love it, yeah. I also it's really true like for that you're in New York. Whenever most people start to write, you know, the cliche is write about what you know and 
most people probably don't have, oh yeah, my mum was approached by the CIA that one time <laughs> in their back pocket. But did you, did, was that something that you were consciously thinking about? Because also I find, because both Phil and I do some writing as well, and um, I find that sometimes those things, they just seem to, not necessarily even just too personal, but I, they don't even stick out sometimes as being something that special because it's just your own normality. So did you have a similar thing with, with your mum's story in the CIA? Yeah, no, she actually didn't tell me about that until af well after I started writing the book. Like, so no it was just, yeah, it was just, she was like, oh, here's a thing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I can use that. Um, I, I really feel that what I think that I do is I um, write fiction uh, because, but I'm always try to be as honest emotionally as possible. So I feel like I need to, easiest way for me to be honest about uh how I really feel about things or like how I really feel uh about particular relationships uh I need to kind of use a, a filter of, of fiction because it gives me a little bit of plausible deniability <laughs> you know someone is like is this this feels like me and I'm like no no that is fiction I you know I I, I couldn't I couldn't um I, I would struggle to write memoir I think to just be to put it all out there i really need yeah, uh, fiction me as that mediating kind of thing and, and how did you get this and i know it took seven years and we're not on for seven years but how did you get this from assignment to published well day one no um <laughs> i so, <laughs> um so you know that was my spring semester in grad school and at the time i still wasn't entirely I actually was applying to um, science and math courses because I thought maybe I could still be a nurse because it just I didn't I wasn't convinced that I was going to be able to uh, make a living with my very expensive grad school degree. But the, um, the professor of that class actually was at the time the editor in chief at Granta. Uh, which is a literary journal uh, based in the UK. And then he actually ended up publishing the story. And from there, uh, the woman who would eventually become my agent, Christina, read it. And she was like, do you think you could write uh, this as a novel? And I was like, <laughs> I'll try, <laughs> you know, because I had nothing else. You know, I'd, the thing I'd applied to grad school with after the first year, I read it. And I was like, well, this is this is terrible. And I and I threw it away. <laughs> like, so I had nothing, nothing else I was working on. Um, and so then from there, you know, it just kind of kept spiraling. She took me on. I finished the, the manuscript and, and she was able to sell the book very relatively quickly. But um, then the revision process for me took like four years. So, um, yeah. Four the years? Timing, yeah. It, it was, you know, from the time I signed the contract until the time that, actually might be more, from the time that it came out, um, it was way longer than I was anticipating. So, yeah. Does that make you feel better, Natalie? Because well, you've been editing for a year now, haven't you? <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. So I signed with a literary agent a year ago and I've been doing edits all year. And at the start, I was like, yeah, I'm a journalist. I do loads of writing. This is going to be fun. And I'd set these deadlines and be like, yeah, I can totally get that to you in like a month or two weeks or whatever. And then I'd start to do them and be like, oh my, I, I really can't. Like, this is taking so long. And I, I mean, I was working full time at the time as well. So kind of cramming it in all other stuff and 
with kids and the rest of it but that's all all an excuse I know it's like you just need to sit down and write but even still now I still haven't finished my bloody edits and like it's so hard it is so hard it's not an excuse it's like your real life like it's just <laughs> really really hard to do all these things and now particularly under quarantine and you're you know caring for and educating young children yeah <laughs> yeah not very it's well not, <laughs> that's not that's not an easy combination. Uh, just having, you know, if you were just frozen in ember, <laughs> like if you were just like if you just were able to do that, it's still hard, you know. But to actually have a life on top of it, it's it's really, it's really not easy. I, you know, I always I really think that people should, you know, you got to give yourself a, a little credit and just be easier on yourself because it is so. You know, just generally speaking, I, I talk to so many people who are like, oh, I can't, I just can't get it done. And it's like, n- no, <laughs> this is hard. Nope. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> well, it's inspiring to hear you say that. <laughs> so, <thanks. laughs> Let's get a flavor of the book then. Uh, Lauren, like everybody who comes on bestsellers has agreed to read a short extract for you to give you a flavor of American Spy. And where do we join the story? Uh, first page, line one word Perfect. one <laughs> definitely no spoilers <laughs> okay so one connecticut 1992 i unlocked the safe beneath my desk grabbed my old service automatic and crept toward my bedroom doorway stealthy until i was brought to grief by a lego duplo that stung the sole of my foot i hobbled the rest of the way to the door and crouched behind it a few moments passed just enough time for me to feel ridiculous I told myself that what I'd heard was the house settling. That was always what it wound up being. The room was still and dark. The only light was from the moon. Puccini, our German shepherd mix, was closed in your bedroom with you. He let out a single, cautious bark. I heard the whoosh of tires on asphalt, a car passing on the Boston Post Road, which was hidden just behind the tangle of woods at the back of our small house. Then it was quiet again. That night, I'd been up late working on a translation at the desk in my room, so it was after two when I'd finally shut off the light and climbed into bed. I hadn't been able to sleep. As I was staring up at the ceiling, I thought I'd heard a floorboard creak in the hall. Instinctively, I'd climbed out of bed and gone for my gun. Oh, great end. (laughs) So good. So good. So I don't know what your process is when you're choosing books to read, but so I always like... I kind of scan the blurb on the back, but then I always read the first couple of paragraphs, which is what I'd, I'd done with your book ages ago anyway. And um, I, what I love about it is obviously it's called American Spy, but you, it's such that suburban setting to begin with and a mum and kids and you just, it's, it's unexpected. Um, and that's kind of what draws you in. Was it always going to start with that scene? Did you kind of always have that in your head or did that change quite a lot? Uh, it changed a lot. Um, again, like one of the hard things for me was structure. <laughs> it's not to just keep talking <laughs> Tell about, me about it. why it was hard. <laughs> but um, actually, uh, the chronology, once I found the chronology, um, that was when I found the book. But it took me a really, really long time to find it. So the first time I wrote a draft, it was it started when she was a kid and then moved, you know, through her life. It was just was linear uh but that meant that she only starts to spy you know like 
uh, a halfway, three quarters of the way into the book, which is like, you know, really, um, really didn't work. So uh, I had someone suggest I do it backwards and that didn't work quite for me either. And then what I ended up doing was kind of going back and forth in time and then uh, which is what I have now. So then so that meant that this yeah, this scene coming first, I always had the scene. But it coming first took, you know, I was years into the process before I landed on that. So just on that as well, because obviously people might have heard, I think, other authors say, oh, yeah, I changed the chronology or I changed the order a bit. And obviously you get that that takes work. But having gone through some of that myself and knowing how long this took you, it takes so long, doesn't it? Because you've got to unpick everything. If you start to then write it backwards, yes, of course, it's going to unlock other stuff and it's all useful and all the rest of it. But just even that is like, you have to be so pedantic. (laughs) Yeah. And I also had the weird experience of there being like a butterfly effect. Like I would change something very small in the beginning and it would have these enormous consequences later. Like, for example, the main character changed she you know she has a sister and um their birth order changed a couple of times and that really changed their relationship when she was older she was much more protective yeah and um and then that kind of also changed who she was like how she sort of engaged with the world because you know for a couple of years there she was younger she was more like me she was very sensible and that's not a good spy so like if I had her let's say walking past an alley and there's some suspicious stuff going on she'd go oh that's weird and keep moving and that's not how you write a novel about a spy like you gotta write a character who's gonna like go into that alley and and like you know mix it up so uh, (laughs) so it took me it took me kind of changing these little things about her character uh to kind of then get to who she actually was and then have a plot that was like a natural expression of who that character was yeah it sucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean like it's fun but also so it's really hard it's hard it's hard yeah yeah it's it's really hard i've done it a couple of times already changed structure and each time you like i was chatting to my agent and she's like so you know what do you think about trying this and you in the moment like yeah mm -hmm." and your head just going no I have that same thing with my little boy's Lego at the moment. When you get 30 steps into a 50 step thing, that's probably what it sounds like to me, you know, and you realize one brick's in the wrong place. You know, all right, start again. (laughs) I feel at this stage, you know, Lauren, I really want to get across to people listening that although we spent a lot of time talking about spies and it's got the word spy in the title, that to me as a reader, the familial element to this and the relationships between generations of families is as huge a part of the story as the spying is. And I wouldn't want people to think they were getting a John le Carre here because if they weren't into that kind of thing, because actually it's a real family-orientated, family-based book, I felt, as a reader. How important was that to you from the start to balance the spy stuff? Oh, it, it was crucial. And actually, uh, speaking of le Carre, one of my inspirations was uh, the spy who came in from the cold, but the reason that it was was because I, I loved the book, but Liz, to me, was the most baffling character. I couldn't understand what she saw in in the protagonist. He was older. He, he was, like, actively mean to her. I felt that she was, like, you know, and she, she sacrifices so much for him. And I wanted to understand, uh, you know, just having a female character in a spy, show, uh, a spy genre book I wanted to kind of when she was making 
bad choices. <laughs> I wanted to be able, I wanted the reader to be able to understand where they were coming from. And for me, that meant uh, having understanding her context, understanding uh, who her family was, what they looked like, what the emotional impact of th those relationships were on her. Um, you know, because your family, you have, everyone has baggage. A lot yeah. of the time your family packs <laughs> those bags. So, <laughs> you know, I felt like I didn't want her to be someone who just uh, popped out of nowhere and started doing things that were you know, uh, you just didn't understand it. I wanted to really mm. kind of get an insight into her emotional emotional life. And I know this often happens with authors as well, is that you're writing your book, and don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't like Marie, but I adored Helene <laughs> in this as well, because often they're sort of, they're not quite the main character, can have more extreme characteristics about them, which I guess you got to play with maybe a bit more with her, but I wonder if you want to do anything more with the character of Helene and anything else or explore her world? Because there's still quite a lot of mystery about what happened with her. Yeah. I mean, I think something that I was playing with here was, you know, like Marie, she thinks she's very smart, um, but she has a lot of emotional uh, blind spots and her sister re definitely resides in one of them. I feel like she can't really see who her sister is. And as a result of that, like she just is, she thinks she's... <sighs> she's responding to something that is kind of her own creation. Um, so I've, I've thought about a couple of people have asked if I wanted to write a sequel and I do, uh, I, I would like, to, but I'd like to write it maybe from Ross's perspective. Uh, so ah. you know, he's the antagonist in this story. Maybe we can see where he is coming from. And I feel like maybe we'd see Helene in that version mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. well. Because uh, I do think that, and but it just it would be important to to see her not through M Marie's lens because yeah, like yeah. that would be a, just a different version of who this character is. Um, so yeah, we should I, just I, fill I, in some blanks, Lauren, that, that who Ross is in relation to Marie and Helen, because there'll be people listening to this that won't have got to American Spy. So, yeah, sorry, a little context. So uh, Ross is he is the CIA officer who who asks Marie to. Uh, help them with this with this operation to to undermine Sankara, and he may or may not have personal <laughs> reasons for wanting her to do that. Yeah, do you much? Do you mind me saying that I thought he was a bit of a dick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind. You know, anyone you thinking that about my antagonist is great. It's funny because I do feel that. Um, so the character's name initially was Sam Ross and. He was based on a friend of mine and they were friends in the first iteration of this book. Uh, and then I realized that they actually had to be in an antagonistic relationship. And I changed his first name because I didn't want Sam to think that that was what I was saying about our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a relief. My heart was in my mouth when I tried to describe one of your friends as a bit No, of a no, thing. no. Like then once he like, because so I just, so, because I really liked because it just feels to me that in another on another timeline in another life they would be friends it's just that they have like uh they're at cross purposes with their agendas and i just feel like that's also why she kind of can't see him coming because you know he's another person who i think can exist in one of her blind spots so yeah 
So is that something uh, you're writing now? Is that the next thing? No, right now I'm. I, <laughs> <laughs> that was like, oh no. <laughs> I no, 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 no. I mean, I do. I mean, just you know, jo- all jokes aside, as and as tough as I, it was, I do love writing, and I feel so grateful to be able to make a career out of it for sure. You know. But right now I am writing, uh, I've been writing for television, so I, uh, ha- that's taken up a lot of, a lot of time. Um, I did start a Western, um, and I have like 40 pages of that, so that might be the next novel that I write, but um, for now, yeah, I've been doing other types of writing. And so what can you really tell us about the TV adaptation so far? Like what stage is it at? And obviously I'm sure that COVID-19 has thrown a bit of a spanner in there. Mm. Well, the TV stuff um, is not mine. Like I'm, I'm writing in television ah, okay. rooms for other shows. But I do have, I did sell the film rights uh, to the novel to a UK based production company. And actually I'm speaking today with the woman who is writing a screenplay version but the spanner in the works that you described is on the table for that. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know what that conversation will be like, but, um, you know. And how come if you write for TV already, did you not want to adapt your own novel? That's a good question. I started after. Like, so I've only been doing it. I've been in two writer's rooms now. I've been writing for about a year. Um, but when I sold the rights, I, I they asked if I wanted to do it and I, I was like, I can't write for television. That's really, it felt very scary. It felt, you know, like I, I, I didn't know how to do it. So I've been, yeah, I've been learning about it now. Did the TV come off the back of the, the first book? Yes. The, um, the, <laughs> on like a Thursday, I got a call from my agent who she was like, oh, someone like a showrunner wanted to talk to you, but you probably won't really you don't want to work for tv right and i was like well well well, wait a second (laughs) let's just let's slow down here with the assumptions so i spoke to him on a friday and he said the same thing uh that you did that he'd read that entertainment weekly thing um not a lot of people have but you two did (laughs) (laughs) or or i haven't heard that from a lot of (laughs) subscribers yeah i haven't heard i haven't heard it from a lot of people but um but it but the people who i have heard it from it's been very influential um so yeah, and then on Monday I flew out to Los Angeles, <laughs> and I moved out there for a year, and then wow, yeah. So it was all very, very sudden, um, really fun. I had like a really positive experience out there, and then now I'm back in New York. But I only came, I came back right before uh, everything shut down. So I was out there for quite a while. How do is it easier for you being American? Although I know New York has, has got its whole unique attitude which i love but but is it easier for you to tolerate that la thing where they say lauren hi so nice to meet you we think you're amazing and then they never call you back um i uh will have to um (laughs) it is it's a thing about la that i've definitely noticed and been very aware of um because i feel that new yorkers are I always take it as like, oh, this is a New York versus L.A. thing uh, because New Yorkers are much more direct. You know, they'll just tell you if they like something or if they don't, if 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 you can work together. And then and then that's the truth. Uh, that isn't always 
the case in LA. <laughs> no, no. You know what? We spoke to Linda LaPlante and she told an amazing story about being in a streaming meeting in Los Angeles and she was with a, a screenwriter. And she said that her frustration now is that they're not just interested in, say, American Spy. They want to know what's American Spy 5 going to be like if we commission, you know. And so they said to her, what happens in season five to your character? And so Linda said, I looked her right in the eye and I said, well, she loses a leg. And at that point, the writer she was with said, come on, we've got to go now. You've got to stop this. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it for a year. You tolerated it for a year. Yeah, and you know, and I've been lucky because everybody I've met has been, like, you know, there's that fakeness that is around, but there's sometimes uh, its twin is like real toxicity. Lucky for me, everybody I've met has been, you know, like just really, really lovely to work with, and I've had like sort of schmoozy meetings where I'm like, everyone is being so right nice right now, and I know I'm never gonna see any of those people again. But ultimately, um, it's been really, it's been a pleasure, actually, because, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I just Let me tell you, my yeah. finest one in L.A., right, where I, was at, I was at a pool party for the Oscars, and I'd been sent by the BBC to cover the Oscars, and the producer I was with was a six-foot skinhead, and, and me, right? And we're by this pool, and this Amazonian six-foot blonde, amazing woman came over, and she said, hey, nice to meet you. Are you guys English? And I said, yeah. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, we're covering the Oscars for the BBC. And she went, oh, my God, TV? And I went, no, radio. And she went, oh, so nice to have met you. And she walked off. <laughs> um, I just realised, I don't know if you, maybe you didn't say for a reason, but which was the TV show you were writing for? Um, yeah, they neither of them exist yet. So Okay, fine. Uh, yeah, and they're both streaming, so... Cool. I look forward to seeing when it eventually gets announced. It sounds great. Uh, yeah, I similarly, I, as part of my university degree, I had a year studying in Santa Barbara at UCSB. And it took me a really long time to culturally get my head around it because I'd meet loads of people. And similarly, they'd say like, oh, hi, like, where are you from? And they'd be like, oh, my God, like, we must hang out. And I'd be like, that'd be great. When? And they're like, oh, uh, it's <laughs> maybe. Like, <laughs> you didn't really mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know anybody. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, yeah, it's very strange. Very strange. Um, so just so we get it straight, so you, so there is a film being written, developed around American Spy, and you're also doing your other TV writing work. What about book writing work? It might be this Western thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Um, but that's sounds a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's enough for me. Are you going to give us a twist on the Western? Is it going to be a Western through a different prism? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I kind of want, I don't, it always sounds you don't goofy want to jinx when you it. say, yeah, and, and I don't want to jinx it, but I, I do think that, um, you know, I can give a kind of maybe a fresh perspective, uh, on the, on the, on the genre and I, or I'd like to give it a shot anyway. We'll see. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty cool though, because they we haven't had no nah, nah, we haven't had a good western for ages, have we? No, it's not I my favourite genre, one. if I'm honest. Yeah, no, and they kind of have fallen out of. Um, I think they've like kind of fallen out of favour. You know, the landscapes are so beautiful, and I think that if you can kind of nail, you know, make the <laughs> make it feel frankly less racist it's like the american western is a is not the best uh no. um genre but i've read i read a really good one the sisters brothers 
um, by Patrick DeWitt. Uh, and I guess they made a show or a movie. I think they made a movie out of it. Um, yeah. So I liked I liked the tone, and I felt like there was I felt like there was space there um, for kind of a you know something fresh. So yeah, because we'll I think I haven't read many westerns at all. I've seen a, a fair amount, just kind of as as you do. But similarly, they're either really racist, I find, or really sexist, <laughs> because like the women tend not to tend not to get a really good look in there, or are kind of very much subservient or having really horrendous things done to them by a lot of men so um i felt that way a little bit about the classic spy novels i was reading so i figured maybe um you know i can yeah add a new voice there too but absolutely we'll we'll see i mean you know not obviously i'm not saying all of them but certainly some particularly like the old the old ones and like, like yeah well it's the early james bond i mean because i'm showing my my eldest boy is four and he likes the james bond films for the stunts and what have you but some of the early ones like goldfinger he's not shy to give a couple of women a backhander casino royale it's just like why do i have to uh, to work with a woman a woman you say yeah. and it's just like yeah. but then he falls in love with her so she's like a good but then it's just like this is wow this is really sexist um for like no reason it's <laughs> just other than that's just like just uh it does it serve it gives no va- it adds no value like to the characterization or it's just like oh this is just unconsidered sexism <laughs> so yeah and i guess i mean hindsight is obviously a great thing but i just find it obviously really off-putting if you're reading something and however much you might be enjoying the story i'm like yeah i'm kind of done now <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to finish this yeah so, yeah, yeah. Um, can you tell us what it's like? So to give a bit of context, I remember interviewing... God, this sounds like we're just dropping loads of stories in this one. Phil. This doesn't <laughs> no. usually happen. But um, I was chatting uh, a couple of years ago to Benj Pasek and Justin Paul, who wrote the music for The Greatest Showman uh, and Dear Evan Hansen and uh, some of the songs for La La Land, for which they won an Oscar. And um, they were talking about how the morning after you win an Oscar, basically it's surreal because suddenly everybody wants you and everybody those ideas that they turned down like three months ago suddenly they're great ideas so you have to really check yourself with actually is it a good idea or was it still not a great idea and in your uh, case I wonder if there's a similar equation to be had once you become a Barack Obama pick (laughs) to read what happens the day after or you know the hour after that happens well, that was like so funny because I was subletting some. I was subletting an apartment in L.A., and then the woman I'm subletting from, she was like, "Oh, you you saw that you like? I bet you already saw this, but you're like on Obama's reading list." And I was like, My, "What?" <laughs> she like texted me, and I was at work, and I had to pretend that I was like paying attention to what anyone was saying when I was just hearing this weird wind sound rushing in my ears. Um, like, so I. I I worry about that because you know I think that once you once you keep hearing yes I think that's a great way to uh, become a hack and I think that people kind of uh, particularly in in LA and film and TV once you kind of have proven yourself once then they they give you a lot of yeses and you get people can um, people will buy into anything that you might say yeah. and, and then uh, not necessarily being truthful about what it is or um no and I think you know I, I worry about it but I have um a lot of people in my life who are just like no this is this is bad 
<laughs> you know, like my, my, my agent is still very honest with me. Uh, I wrote a draft of my novel that she told me, you know, could burn. <laughs> like, so she was, she, was very she was very direct about it. She was 100% right. And to have someone like that in your corner is, is, is so valuable. So, I mean, I'm hoping that people that I know, you know, that you can, that I can get those yeses or people say, oh, this is great. This is great from in a, in a business uh, thing, but people in my life, I hope that they will always stay honest with me about, they're like, that's, you want to write what? <laughs> like, I just hope that I, I hope that, that I get that. Um, and did you get to speak to the Obamas at all? Once you make their reading list, did anyone from the Obamas office contact you? Did any of that go on? No. And and actually, they didn't even let me include that, that I'd been on his list on, on the American edition of the book. You know, my mom really, really got on my case and she wanted me. She's like, send you got to send an email to the Obamas. And I'm like, I, <laughs> what? Like, I don't have the, I don't have. His email, yeah. you know, like, and then she just is like really Barack yeah. at president.com at mac.com. And then I was like, uh, so she, but she kept bothering me about it. And so finally, I sent him, like, um, you know, like just on, on his website, he's got like a contact form. So I was like, dear Barack Obama, thank you. you know, just, just to like make my mom happy. But I, I was like, you don't actually. It was one of those fights with her where it just was like, this is such a stupid fight. <laughs> like, the terms of it are so stupid. I don't want to write this letter because he's not going to read it. And she was like, just write the letter and make me happy. And I'm like, this is so, yeah, it was. And you're so like, just he's already it. read the book. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Just, she's like, but who else has done more for you than, than Barry Obama? You should tell him. I'm like, he, that's not a thing he has no idea i don't know so it's just yeah i, I think but they should have let you put that on the cover shouldn't they they should have let you put that there's no point having a reading list if you don't want people to know what's on it surely yeah and i noticed that they put it on the uk cover so yeah i was gonna say i've seen it on the uk paperback that's coming out so yeah do you know what? I'll, I'll call him because I called him to tell him to read your book. <laughs> Thank you. I was wondering. I, it was, I, no, I heard he read it in EW. He's the other person. Yes. So. <laughs> that, yeah, that EW um, got such mileage. That article really helped me out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask because, again, I think uh, a lot of people who write or are trying to start writing more, like myself, you distract yourself by reading loads about how other people do it and what their process is and how they write. And um, is this still correct that you get up at a ridiculous hour in the morning at 4 a.m. to walk your dog and then start writing? I do, because I, I think that probably one of the best things to know about yourself is when you write uh, best. I don't I don't. I don't know. I don't really, it doesn't matter where I write, but when I write is actually really important to me. Uh, right now though, because I'm in a writer's room that's based in the UK, I've been waking up at five and working till noon in that room. So I can't write at that time, but generally, and when I was writing my novel, yeah. I worry though that I'm not going to be able to do the second book that I write that way because now I have a relationship <laughs> now i live with somebody else so i can't just be <laughs> bumbling around my apartment at 4 a.m yeah. <laughs> when making coffee and making all sorts of noise but i'm i'm my brain just feels freshest in the morning there's a way to solve that and um all you do is just have kids 
and then you have to bumble around your apartment at 4am because that's when the little buggers wake up. Yeah, I feel that that solves one problem but creates a, <laughs> yeah. a cascade of others yeah. related to writing. Yeah. Yeah. I have two children and try to do the, hey, what's sleep? I don't need sleep. I can just like do it all. And it turns out you do need sleep. So, yeah. yeah. The one thing I did want to ask you as well about briefly in American Spy was your blending fact and fi- fiction, which I know you talked about a little bit earlier, but... Um, Again, shamefully, I didn't know Thomas Sankara was a real character, a real person. Um, And I kind of love that you've put that in this book. And I did that thing of like Googling afterwards and trying to find out a bit more. And it's fascinating. So what what kind of drew you into him in particular? Um, Like a historical crush. You know, I I remember like read about him in college. I was like, oh, this guy's so charming, you know, (laughs) And, and just like really reading more. And the more I read, the more I like really uh, realized that I admired this person and just really felt like that he really wasn't isn't very well known but that Che is and so it felt like there was space for it for a character like him or for him to be better known Um, and yeah I mean so it was actually I knew that I wanted to include him in the novel before any of the other stuff like before I knew the Cold War was going to be a part and all of all of that um so yeah and I and I kind of always I think I big hope for me was that people would read it and then and then read about about him because I think there's a lot to a lot to admire there um I think it's an interesting story and there's like a, a quite a bit of betrayal you know in his real life story so it's, I think it's a compelling one yeah it is that kind of thing of like who gets to write history and how you view it and yeah yeah so, yeah, I mean, I, I went to Burkina Faso because, you know, I do, I do have a lot of respect for him. And, and I did feel like he this is maybe going to be the first time that some Americans uh, or people outside of, you know, Burkina um, w- would hear of him. And so I wanted to try to be good, try to be as accurate or as respectful because it isn't really... You know, I'm not I'm not Burkina Bay. You know, it's not my he, he means so much to a lot of people. And I just wanted to to make sure that I honored that by understanding, kind of trying to understand as best I could who, who this man was and in, in the con, you know, in the context of, of his country. So. And what kind of feedback have you had on that side of things? Has it been people being like, oh, thank you for doing this? Um, I haven't more. This is most, mostly been like people being just being like oh i never i never knew who this was this is it's a cool this is a cool person to um to 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 learn about so uh yeah i mean yeah mostly that's that's what it's been i mean i the first time i read wrote a the short story that i mentioned that i wrote that became this novel um when i was in burkina faso i met someone who had actually was was friends with a scholar who'd written a biography of of Sankara in French and so he like gave that friend gave him the story and and then I got the news back that the historian was like he would never be interested in a woman in the CIA you know and I was like oh no no. (laughs) so um but yeah I mean it's I was like yes probably (laughs) I I do think yeah so but but, you know, it's fiction. Tell me, how, Lauren, how <laughs> have you dealt with having such success off a debut? Because 
There are writers, plenty of writers. I mean, Don Winslow springs to mind, whose work I love, who told me that he was seven books in and was about to pack it in and become a safari tour guide because he'd had no success, and it was book eight that turned. And on book one, there you are, you're selling well, recognised, there's a movie in production or certainly been written, and you're on the Obama's reading list and you get an international acclaim. Uh... It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, I didn't know that about Don Winslow. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm happy about it. I'm completely I'm completely thrilled. It's every the life the course of my life has changed in a way that I could never never have predicted. Um, I'm so I'm so happy because this is what I've loved forever. You know, I've 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 been writing stories since I was. 12 because I loved reading so much as a kid so to have something um, you know just something that means a lot to me for me to be able to do it uh, is 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 great for people to say oh you know this is what I thought about your book this is what I thought like you meant here I'm like I that's amazing that you even are giving it so much thought you know it <laughs> makes me feel so makes me feel really honored um, but you know I still I'm also like probably my own worst critic so it always feels like okay so what what uh, what is what am I going to do next like you know what's going to be the actual thing that's going to make me feel like I'm a good writer <laughs> I guess yeah. like which yeah. is um you know that's a game I guess you could probably play for the rest of your the rest of your life um I've been thinking about the non-sexist western ever since you said it I've been mulling titles in my head. The good, the bad, and the don't judge me on my looks. <laughs> <laughs> bad puns, Phil, bad puns. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got loads more. I Should we say, get just, some? Have you got yeah, one just, more to yeah, do? Yeah, just on that, I was just going to say... Um, there's kind of a similar there's kind of a similarity to the Don Winslow tale in that presumably you know it was seven years to get this to publication and your, your four years of of editing it. How did you keep yourself motivated in in that slog of the process? Yeah, I mean, because that's yeah, that was not necessarily uh, the you know very very easy. It really was muscle memory, right? Like so, I guess like that's another element of just to backtrack a little that's another element of it like it does feel it is my first book but I've been writing like pretty much every day um for more than a decade now so you know I just the only way that I was able to kind of get up and keep writing particularly after the draft that you know my agent said was really bad was just like um was just doing it was just sitting in the chair and forcing myself to keep going um, even when I didn't want to. And the thing, the thing that kept me going there was, was just, yeah, literally sitting there and then also occasionally spite. I think I've said that before, but that is true. Spite is nothing, nothing motivates me like <laughs> wanting to spite somebody else. Um, so I would like picture sometimes, oh, you know, they'll see when I'm successful, the ex-boyfriends who've yeah. wronged me or whomever, like you'll, they'll, they'll, they'll all see. So, yeah, um, but it's good. I'll probably cut this bit out because I'm really crap as well. But um, uh, I do that thing where every time I haven't written the edit or I think the edit's not great, I'm like, oh, this is it. Like the, the email from my agent's going to be like, yeah, you know, you tried, but we're not even going to bother to like push this one out to submission now because it's, you know, it's been 10 months. So like, why would we? <laughs> That's like where my head goes the whole time. Yeah. And I, I kind of always feel, I mean, I, I, you know, I wonder if that feeling will ever go away. Maybe not. 
Yeah, but I guess I'm, on the flip side, I kind of think sometimes I've never been particularly arrogant in any other aspect of my life. So I can't see why I would be like that about writing. And if you do change so much, then you're kind of not the person you thought you were anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Uh oh. We're getting very. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Here. <laughs> well, I'm afraid you. I'm afraid your hour's up now, Natalie. But maybe at the same time next no, week. No, because it's so true, and I realized I was about to like say something, like to like really yeah. get Even into like who I am as an essential person, and it's like, whoa, okay, maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll like wait until like I come to New York and I'll have a drink and I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lauren, listen, can you give us some recommendations for other books that aren't yours, please? Yes. Uh, this is the last book that I, I, holding it up, I will say the title, is Nada by Carmen Laforet. Uh, it's a Spanish book. It takes place right after Spanish Civil War, uh, early 40s. And it's about, it's like, it's like the uh, Catcher in the Rye of Spain. But it's, um, uh, you know, it's about a, uh, a girl, uh, an 18-year-old uh, named Andrea. And she moves from the country to live with her family and they are a pack of just real nutcases and she is she's really shocked by the experience i don't know i just it's a very i loved this book because it it's so political but it like never talks about like it never talks directly about politics um and you know and it's just yeah it's a really it's a really really beautiful one it was just translated um edith grossman has done a new translation so i think it'll so be that's nada n-a-d-a that's the title and the author is carmen laforette l-a-f-o-r-e-t yeah she's um not nearly as well known as she should be outside of spain but people in spain are like oh yeah <laughs> she's like it is so much like jd salinger there uh and then the second book i just randomly picked off of my shelf because I always loved it. Um, and now I'm like thinking, okay, you know what? I should revisit it during this pandemic. It's A Wild Sheep Chase by Haruki Murakami. Um, this was like his first book that I ever read. It's a weird, it doesn't have the magical realism of, well, actually, no, it has a ton of weird magical realism that set me up for um, a fall when I read other of Murakami's work. It's It's just about, it's a it's a it's a detective story, um, and it it follows like this very it's a it's a detective story and kind of like a screwball comedy. It follows these this 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 guy on the he's looking for a wild sheep essentially. But then there are characters like a woman who he falls in love with because her ears are perfect, and every time mm -hmm. uh, you know she reveals them, he's like, whoa, her ears, you know, like so it's just it's like that is that kind of um, energy. I just read it. I remember I read it like in two days and I, I think, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Murakami's in general. So, yeah, a wild sheep So that's chase. Haruki Murakami, a wild sheep chase. I'm going to throw back a, a bit of magical realism um, from one of my favourite authors is Alice Hoffman. Um, and I don't know if you've read The Story Sisters by her. Mm -mm. But in terms of um, familial relationships, it is... I wept uh, reading some of this book. I haven't read it for ages, actually, but I kind of dive into her books quite a lot over the years. Um, but yeah, I can highly recommend The Story Sisters by Alice Hoffman. Uh, some of it's set in New York, but it's about these sisters, basically. And again, you know, she writes so lyrically about like all of a sudden they were growing wings or looked like they were growing wings and their kind of connections and things. And um, yeah. Cool. 
Lauren, listen, thank you so much for doing this with us on Best Sellers. We've absolutely loved uh, not only speaking to you, but also reading American Spy. It's such a great debut. And if it is the Western that comes next, I can't wait to dive into that. And whatever it is, uh, we'll be checking out book number two for sure. But I don't want you to feel any pressure. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? You've got another six years left yet before we do. So. Yeah, and do keep writing about your editing process and how to get past that, because I'm all for that as well. <laughs> cool. Thank you um, so much for having me having me on it's been really fun oh, i really liked her i knew you would i knew you would i feel vindicated <laughs> not that there was ever an issue by the way but i just well i, I was going to read it i just hadn't got around to it it was on my radar for a really long no, time no i don't even mean that i mean you know the way that we put this together is that i'll bring some writers to the party you bring some writers to the party and i have a this where is this party this, here <laughs> Now you're listening to it, girlfriend. <laughs> and I have this... Um, what are we drinking? <laughs> yeah, that, what are the that's snacks? coming in a minute. Uh, and I have this real overbearing sense of guilt if I put something your way that you're not going to like. So I'm really thrilled mm-hmm. that you, A, like the book, and B, like Lauren. I mean, I've never met Lauren before either, so, um, you know, but I knew you'd like the book because it's just so well-crafted. And, um, and also, I really liked that she was so genuine about how she writes mm. as well. And, and I think that authors, obviously, they generally are. But sometimes you can get the misconception that they'll say, oh, and then I had to do edits. Mm. And you don't really get a sense of how mm. much work that involves. Mm. And just changing one tiny bit in a timeline of, you know, the order that things happen in a book is so much unpicking and rewriting. I saw a brilliant tweet from Claire McIntosh the other night. And it said, mm. oh, I love her too. Um, whatever you do. Don't change a character name partway through an edit. Because <laughs> then it goes, do you know that bit? You must have that bit on Word where it says, do you want to change all? And you go, yeah. But apparently, I can't remember what the name was now to tell you, but it was very similar to an actual genuine word in the manuscript. And oh, it completely no. botched it. Yeah, that's that's not no. fun. How, how are you getting on then? Uh, yeah, slowly. So let's go back to the snacks we're going to have at this no, party. Come on. <laughs> tell me about the edits. <laughs> I'll tell you, but uh, yeah, I'm not they just take a, a really moment. long time. They just take a really long time. And, and I've had that thing as well where structurally I changed the time frame where things happen. And it, I started by doing it chronologically and then I changed it to jumping around. And each time you do that, it's kind of just a massive rewrite. And also I think I find that you can, it can get quite... You can sort of kid yourself that you're doing lots of work, but you're just sort of doing the structural changes, which actually maybe isn't fixing some of the more interesting or complex things you actually need to do in a right. book. So there's still quite a lot of work to do. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, you know, I'm still unpublished. Yep, it's great. I've got an agent and I'm supremely grateful for that. Um, but it's just really hard to kind of uh, keep going all the time when you're doing work and everything as well. And uh, I found it really hard in uh, the pandemic as well. My brain is generally fried. Mm. A lot of the time. But we um, should make really clear that's because your, your kids are older than mine, but not much older, aren't they? And so you're homeschooling, you're working to actually earn money, and you've been making yeah. a podcast with me, and you try and do edits on a book. Yeah. So, you know, you're fairly well stacked. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit. I always feel I could do more, though. <laughs> I always want to be superwoman. <laughs> well, we'll continue that therapy session next time. Just going back to yeah, Lauren, um, mm. I love Westerns, and I think it would be great. I think her take... It could possibly be one of the coolest Western stories ever, don't you? That if she did it, yeah. if she sees yeah. that through, she may not. She may do something else. But yeah, well, that's the same just... with. Um, I didn't get around to asking her about the title of American Spy because obviously you see that title, so you kind of know ish what mm. you're going to get. But you're dead right in that 
you know, what attracted me to this in the first place was that you read those opening paragraphs, which you read to us. And it's not like a usual spy thing. It's very much a family mm. domestic yes, setting. Yeah, it is. And you get, yeah, and you get to learn a lot about mothers and sisters and, and relationships. And that's kind of what drew me into the story, really. So, yeah, I'd love that to be applied to whatever Western mm. she creates. Great. Uh, the brilliant Lauren Wilkinson, an American spy. Have we, um, have we done that website yet? Don't mention it. Don't mention the website. <laughs> <laughs> You know when I put something on your to-do list, that's on your to-do list. <laughs> yeah, you're very good at to-do lists. Yeah. Very good at them. You got to got to have a list. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you so when you do a to-do list, you can write at the top write to-do list. And then you can just tick it off as soon as you've done it. Write to-do list, send to fill, get him to do it. End of to-do list. <laughs> to done list. Yeah. Lovely. I hope you're enjoying the series by the way. We're having a blast doing this, uh, aren't we? And um I hope you're having as much of a blast listening to it if there's anything you want to let us know if you've read the book if you haven't if you've read one of the other books that we've told you about and you want to drop us a line it's bestsellerspodcast all one word bestsellerspodcast at gmail.com we do read everything but we can't return your drawings <laughs> is that your disclaimer yeah, it is, yeah. okay my disclaimer as well be uh, at any party if we get to do that at any point um i would always like cheese and pineapple on a stick and i will never apologize for it all right, I'll get the blue nonny. <laughs> no, I won't get that far. Baby sham. <laughs> Although we better let her breathe. That blue non, she'll be furious. Awful. Right, let's <laughs> try. No more, no more. <sighs> Bye. <laughs> See ya.